Martin, you know, just didn't really share too much. Uh, he and his, his wonderful wife, Susan, they are, you think of missionaries, you typically think of people who go uh, across seas and do the work, but they're missionaries here, and they, 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 um, they love on the Muslim community. That's the way that they show Christ uh, to them, rather than street corner conversions. Uh, they, they learn to love them as neighbors. And um, there's an old saying or a saying that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He didn't say it, but it's, it's powerful at times if given the right context. And it says, preach the gospel uh, at all times and when necessary, use words. And so when I think about uh, the mission of Peace Catalyst and what uh, Martin and Susan Brooks do here locally, I think of that saying all the time. Uh, what you do not know is that at all times, some point, uh, the people that you live next to, you work with, you go to school with, whether or not you say words, you're always sharing the gospel in some way. People are looking at you, they are watching how you live, and it oftentimes affects and impacts the way that they look at the Jesus whom you claim to serve. And even if you don't, tell them. Uh, they know that if you go to church, they know your behaviors. And they see you leaving at the same time every Sunday, and they know, well, they got to be going. Those must be church people. Um, you know, they know. Now, back in the day, when we used to put on clothes for church, they know because you dress up. And, uh, but nowadays, you just wake up and put on last night's clothes and come in <laughs> smelling like last night. Just to God be the glory, I'm joking. Uh, so, cool, cool, man. How's everybody doing? Good. Also, want to keep in mind that, as Martin said, we did not plan the prayer walk. Uh, we, we plan these things ahead. And so, in your program is just a listing of things that we have coming up. Uh, you know, we hope that you take advantage of these opportunities for, do, for us to do, as Martin said, both and. This will give us an opportunity to get to know one another better, but also an opportunity to meet more people and share the gospel with them. And so, uh, you know, take note, plug it into your calendars. Let us get together, have fun. There's pool parties and all types of stuff on here. Uh, I don't really get in water a whole lot. Uh, and, you know, regardless of what some of my vanilla brothers and sisters think, some of us chocolate folk can't swim. Sean can't, but we're praying for him. We're praying for him that the Lord give him um, the spiritual gift of not drowning. And <laughs> you got me. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so good, good man. Um, today we um, we dive into our second installment. We've been in a series. Uh, just just the second week, of course, of a series that we are calling fruit. And uh, for the next nine weeks, we will be walking through what we know as the fruit of the Spirit uh, in Galatians. And um, these, are, these are pretty cool. Uh, remember last week, uh, Pastor Matt preached and he shared with us about love. Uh, but remember, he talked about when you look at these attributes that Paul highlights, that it is the fruit of the Spirit and not fruits. Of the spirit, meaning that these attributes, it's not that there's some spiritual orchard that we go to and we just pluck from different trees what we do want and we leave the ones hanging that we do not want in order. Or if you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have all nine of the attributes we know as fruit. You do not have love but lack patience. Yeah, all of it is a part of this story. And so I'd like to first, before we dive in today, let us read together kind of our focal verse for this series, uh, which you'll find in Galatians 5 and 22. Will you read with me? You don't mind? Let us read together. But the fruit of the Spirit. 
Amen, amen. Those are all nine of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, touch somebody and tell them, I got all of them. I got all of them. I got all of them. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> All right, all right, so cool. Our focal verse for today, uh, we'll be talking about joy today. If you didn't grab it uh, by the songs that were said by our worship team today, we'll be talking about joy. So if you have your Bibles, and of course it'll be available for you on the screen, uh, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of John chapter 17, uh, verse 13. The latter part, we'll call it the B clause there of uh, John chapter 17, verse 13. And this is what you'll see. So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them that they may have the full measure of my joy within them brothers and sisters whether or not you know it we are all full of something yeah. we're all full of something um, if you are doubtful you're full of doubt if you are resentful then you are full of resentment if you are dreadful you are full of dread or maybe you are faithful which means that your life you display that you are full of faith or perhaps hopeful that means that you are full of hope we we are all filled with something something on the inside of us is what we have been pursuing therefore it means that we are full of those things and oftentimes you can see it based upon your attitude uh, Matt also, I love it, he said last week, uh, and it really speaks to this series, that you are what you eat, therefore whatever you ingest comes out with how you live, and so you are full of these things because you are constantly ingesting them, whether through conversations, through media, no matter what it may be, it makes you full of those things. you consuming them, it becomes a part of your reality. Yeah, that's just, you know... I'm so full of the spirit that oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes the electronics just don't even act right because the Holy Spirit just pulsates from me. Um, <laughs> we see in John 17 and 13, Jesus' hope for all of us, which is simply this. Jesus wants you to be full of joy. He wants you to have a joyful experience while you are living here on this earth. One of the great scriptures that we read about so often, John 10, 10, Jesus makes it clear, listen, that Satan comes, the thief comes, but only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and live it to the full. He wants you to lead a full and a joyful life. Jesus wants you to be joyful. Now, when, when I, I share this with people, I always get a little bit of pushback because the attitude often is, well, it's, it's not that I don't want joy. I just don't feel joyful. I don't feel like I have joy. Well, I have two arguments for that. First, the thing is if we are going to stay in step with this series that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have faith, you have a relationship, then joy it comes a part of the, uh, the package. You don't, you don't have the option of not having joy. It's a part, it's a byproduct of the relationship between you and Jesus Christ. It's an attribute. Joy is the fruit, right? Secondly, I would say that the reality is you probably don't know what joy is. 
That's what I discovered more than anything else. It's, it's not that you don't have joy or lack joy. You don't know what it is. Uh, we look at joy as an emotion or something that you feel when you don't feel it, that you believe that you don't have it, but that's not the case with joy because joy is not a feeling. It is more than an emotion and it has less and less to do with how you feel, but more and more to do with who you are. So I did my, my homework. Uh, I always tell you I'm not the smartest guy. And the first thing I do whenever I study is I pull out the dictionary to try to define words to figure out that I can articulate it clearly to you. And uh, in all the dictionaries that I, I read, when I, I, I saw them explain joy, I don't think they captured it. Not spiritual joy. All the dictionaries, they talk about joy as kind of like happiness on steroids. Right? Right? It's like, um, you know... It's the difference between, you know, getting a new puppy and having a new child, right? You're happy when you get a new puppy, you know, it's a, hey, it's, it's good, you know, you're going to do all the things that a dog does, yay. Uh, but when you have a new child, it changes your life, right? You know, it, it brings a certain, that's kind of how the dictionaries define joy, it's, you know, a bunch of happiness, uh, an enormous amount of happiness. Or you may have even heard some people say that uh, joy is best defined. Uh, the difference between joy and happiness is, you know, happiness is based upon how things are happening in your life, but joy is a constant despite what's going on. And, and I like that definition as well, but there, there's, there's a spiritual definition of joy that I really in, you know, enjoy, uh, that I hope that you like. And, um, and I think this best defines what joy is. And so it'll be available for you on the screen so you can follow with me. Uh, Joy, as a phenomenon or feeling, joy is a culmination of being that raises no problems as such and that strains beyond itself. Yeah, I like that. As a phenomenon or feeling joy raises no problem. Basically, what it's talking about with joy is that it is more than just a simple feeling. It is a state of being. It is a state of being that refuses to empower the problems and the issues of life, the stresses and the pressures that we go through, and it reaches beyond what you and your ordinary human strength have enough power to give yourself to which means that joy empowers you despite what takes place in our world. Joy is the reason, whether or not you know it, even though you don't always feel joyful, joy is one of the reasons you woke up this morning. Because the Lord placed joy inside of your body, inside of your life, and it quickened you, and it helped to give you life on this day. Joy is greater than just a feeling. I discovered that one of the reasons why so many of us, we, we feel not so joyful and we experience joylessness, not only do we not know what it is, but the pressures of life get to us. And sometimes it suffocates the feeling that we have and we start to think that maybe that's not my reality because I feel so weighted down trying to juggle a career, trying to balance a, a, a family and my responsibilities and my bills that come with more bills which are attached to many more bills and because of this existence that I have, I feel so weighted down by life, it is next to impossible for me to feel or to experience joy and I'm going to tell you, even with the weight, with the pressures of life, even even with the negative circumstances that we often feel, even if you feel that way, that does not mean that you do not have joy. You, you may be anemic. 
joy. But man, joy is there. It is present. And I, and I understand this. I, you know, I, I know the feeling. Oftentimes when we're up here, you think, man, you know, pastors, you really don't do anything. You work one day a week. And... Um, you don't have a whole lot going on in your life socially, and so you don't understand my experiences. But listen, I mean, I got bills. I, I got one kid who lives in the house who is like five kids uh, because of her busy schedule. And, uh, and my wife and I were trying to balance uh, them, but then you also have adult kids that you have to support. And so, you know, we got a lot going on. And we knew it was true a couple of weeks ago. We went to a friend's baby shower. And uh, we left the baby shower, and we recognized that for the first time, and we don't know how long, we went somewhere just us. And had fun. And on the way home, we high-fived each other and said, we had a date. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Look at us being grown and stuff, going places without kids. Yeah. It's not that you don't have joy. Just that you don't oftentimes feel like it. It's not that you don't have joy. You just don't have enough time. You don't have enough energy. You, you don't feel like you have enough freedom to really feel joy. And if this is you, if you feel, you know, pressed down and depleted at times, here's what I want to tell you, is that joy is an expression of faith in what God can do and is doing. And even though life can seem bleak at times, if you have faith in God's power, that's where he will truly allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength. If you have faith in God's power, to create margin for you, to help you to press through the circumstances and the feelings of life. If you have faith in God's ability to do so, then that's where when Nehemiah tells us in Nehemiah 8 and 10, through the weight and the pressures of life, that's where the joy of the Lord can truly be your strength. So, preacher man, you said that we have joy I believe you. I have joy. If you could tell me, how can I access that? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. It's kind of what I hope to open and unpack for you today. Is that we can see how do you access the joy. And in our scripture today, our stories is kind of awesome, man. And we're going to be dealing with uh, chapter 17. But ultimately, we're going to be kind of walking through uh, chapters 14 through 17. And this, this great conversation and teaching that Jesus is having with his disciples. And it's, it's kind, of, kind of heavy at times. If you, you open it up, you'll see one of the first things is that Jesus is having a dinner, a gathering with his disciples. And at this, this dinner, this gathering, he predicts that he's soon going to die, that his time is coming to an end on this planet. Not only this, that as they gathered, um, Jesus honors them and he washes their feet. Y'all remember that when he washes the disciples' feet, even Judas' feet, by the way? Yeah, he washes their feet. They're gathered together and they're at the dinner. And even at the dinner, he predicts not only that he's going to die, but he also predicts that Simon will soon betray him, that he will deny him not once, not twice, but three times. Can you imagine how heavy that dinner must have been? You think your family dinners are crazy. Think about this. Jesus gathers his closest known friends, almost relatives, at the dinner table to tell them, listen, man, everything has been good. Like, man, we've had a good three years together. We've been hanging out. We've been raising the dead. We've been feeding the hungry. We've been celebrating the kingdom of God coming to the people. And I know that you've been waiting for me to come, and you've been waiting for the kingdom to rise up again and for Israel to take its right place on the planet. All that's good and fine and dandy. However, by the way, I'm about to die. Not only am I about to die, but listen, somebody at this table is going to betray me. They're going to sell me 
over to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And not only that, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. I know you're one of my closest friends. But there's going to come a time when the pressure is going to get to you and you're not going to stand up to it. You're going to fold. <laughs> Imagine the weightiness of this conversation. And I feel like Jesus knew that. So within this, he says one of the greatest scriptures, man, if you've ever heard it. He knew about how weighty this conversation is going to be. And he says to the disciples in the midst of this long dialogue, hey, by the way, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going. I know I'm leaving, I'm dying, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you into myself that where I am, you can come and be with me. Man, how sweet must that have been in this conversation to assure them of something that was coming. And I wish I could say that it would all be leveled out then, but it didn't. There was some more uncertainty, and if you think about and put yourself in a position of the disciples who have been waiting for this change, not them themselves and their lives, but for generations, they've been waiting for a change to happen in their lives and their family lives for a new hope in Israel, and Jesus shares this with them, and I can imagine just how depressed they must have felt because this was our moment. Things were supposed to get better for us. And Jesus, listening to you talk, I do not hear better. But they'll soon discover something that I pray you and I don't wait too long to discover. That the word better is not always synonymous with easy. And that Jesus never promised us an easy life. He promised that life would be better because we would have him. Because life is hard. And Jesus even knew that. And his same teaching, he says to them, he says, hey. In this life, you will have trouble, but have courage because I have overcome this world. My story is greater than the pressures that you feel. You're going to experience hardships and pains and things are going to disappoint you, but stay close to me because I am the answer. And so a little bit further in the conversation, Jesus begins praying Imagine this, he's, he's with his disciples and he just begins praying openly to God, to his father, while his disciples are gathered around. It's okay, it's a baby. Um, he, he's there, he's there and he prays openly and he allows his disciples to listen to the conversation between he and his father. And he says something so beautiful, it's special to us because it's, it's the, the passage of scripture where we got our name and the verse that brings us together. He ultimately plays, Father, I pray that they may be one the way that you and I are one and that I and the Holy Spirit are one. May they be one as we are one. He prays that prayer. That's, that's our verse one, church. That's, that's where our name comes from. He prays that we would be one as he and the Father and the Spirit are one but then he prays he says listen father I, I pray that they will have the full measure of my joy within them the full measure of my joy what's the full measure of my joy 
there's so many scriptures and passages that we could illuminate uh, to share with this. I think there's one, though, that falls kind of right in step with what Jesus was teaching. And it should speak to us in this day and time. You'll grab it from the writer in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is set down at the right hand at the throne of God. The author of Hebrews helps us to get a glimpse as to what Jesus was experiencing and what he went through when he was willing to go to the cross to die for our sins. He says, let us look, fix our eyes on Jesus who he went to the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Jesus was willing to die for our sins because of joy. Jesus was willing to experience humiliation because of joy. He was willing to experience the punishment because of the joy that was set before him. Well, what does he mean about the joy set before him? He recognized that after he was to give up his life on this earth that he would experience in the latter part of the verse, he would be sat down at the right hand of God, at the throne of God. That he would spend eternity with his father, who for the joy set before him. Now, I, I like that. I think that's, that's great, but I think there's, there's a piece missing when we look at it. Because you, you would think just by looking at that, that what the writer is saying is that the greatest are the, the joy is complete only because he's seated in the throne room next to his father. And, and that's a, a tremendous part of the story. But the question that I have to ask is, what is a king, what is the throne room, if there are no subjects to be before him. Jesus says, for the joy that was set before me, I'll sit in the throne room at the right hand of my father, and I'll spend eternity not only with him, but I'll spend it with you. For the joy of spending the remainder of eternity with my father and with my father's children. And not only will I go to the cross, I'll consider the humiliation, the punishment, the beatings, the suffering, I'll consider it nothing. Because I get to spend the remainder of my days with you. Complete joy. Jesus is talking about. And I love that. I love that because John, he mentions that Jesus is teaching almost the very same thing. He likens it to the, the, the pain that a woman bears when she is giving birth to a child. He says it's like a woman who gives birth to a child and how once that pain is over, she's able to experience the joy of that baby. Um, moms, for the joy that was set before you, you were able to experience the birthing pains and to experience the joy of that newborn life. This is what Jesus is teaching right in step with the writer of Hebrews, which is an interesting understanding then. I think what Jesus is sharing and what the writer in Hebrews is saying is a simple truth that we must grasp. Joy does not happen in absence of pain, but perhaps pain is a forerunner to joy. Pain is a forerunner to joy. To truly experience the joy that comes from being connected to God, from loving the Lord, pain is a precursor before you get there. You experience pain, know that joy is on the way. So in this prayer, uh, he asked his father in heaven, he says, listen, protect his children, protect his followers, protect my baby so that they can be one just as we are one. And he says, this is what I want them to do. I want them to experience joy 
but I don't want them to pursue happiness. Because that's what the world tells us. The key to joy is to pursue, to pursue happiness. If you, if you pursue happiness, uh, you'll always be disappointed if you pursue happiness. Man, history has shown us so many people, we can spend hours just dialoguing about the people who, who wanted happiness and who pursued it to no avail and how their lives were ruined. I, I, I thought about a few people just in my preparation. I thought about the great philosopher Voltaire. If you are familiar with him, Voltaire, man, he was a great philosopher and a great writer, man, that he studied. And he, he, he hated belief systems and especially Christians, and he hated them. And he decided he lived his life to the fullest, and he worked to experience joyfulness, and he showed everybody that you can achieve happiness and joy Without faith, and lo and behold, when Voltaire was dying, he says, I wish I would have never been born. Or, or there's the great poet Lord Byron, if you're familiar with him, who lived a life of pleasure. We read all of his wonderful writings, but in his own personal journal, he says, man, grief, grief is mine alone. Or how about, man, if you're familiar with the history of how the railroad system was built, there's a guy by the name of Jay Gold who was one of the first chief architects of the railroad system in the United States, died a multimillionaire. And when Jay Gold died, he simply said, I suppose, I suppose that I am the most miserable man in the world. Or how about Alexander the Great? who during his time conquered the then-known world, and one of his servants peeked in on Alexander one day as he was weeping in his tent. And when they asked him what was wrong, he says, I have no more worlds to conquer. They've ch chased it all. Power, pleasure, fame, you name it. Whenever you chase happiness, you will always find yourself coming up on the short end of life why when Jesus prays, before he talks about joy, he prays for our oneness in him. Because joy is not discovered by us pursuing happiness or even pursuing joy. Joy comes by pursuing oneness in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. So don't pursue happiness and joy. Pursue oneness in Christ. Well, how do I pursue oneness in Christ? Glad you asked. You guys asking really good questions today. You pursue oneness in Christ basically in the same teachings here that Jesus has given us. If you open up to John 15, 5 and 11, you'll, you'll hear Jesus says this, 9 through 11. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be complete in you and that your joy may be complete. The key to your joy, complete joy, comes by oneness in Christ. And Jesus shows us how to obtain oneness in Christ. He simply says, hey, I know what you're looking for. I got it for you, kids. Stick with me. Stick with me. I, I know you're pursuing to gather more education. That's cool. I know you want more money. That's cool. I understand that you want better things. That's cool. But I'm trying to tell you what you're searching for. Just hang with me. 
hang with me, remain in me, experience my love, what Pastor Matt talked about last week, love then follows afterwards is joy. If you experience God's love, then you will experience his joy. If you stick around me, I will give you the joy that you are pursuing, that you're looking for. It is found in oneness in me. It's not found in your relationships. It's not found in your career. It's not found in any party or any other accomplishments. Joy is simply found by remaining connected to him. Now, here's the challenge. In so many of our lives, here's what happens. We pursue those things, humanity, people, things let us down, and then we blame God. Now, 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 I'm going to say something, and, and I, I want to give just a disclaimer, because the last time I said it, uh, before one church, I said it, and a couple left, and I ain't seen them since. Uh, and and I, I'm not saying this to anybody personally, okay? Y'all good with that? All right. Um, what happens is this. When life and people let us down, we blame the church. And the first thing we do is we leave the church after people fail us. How about we try something different? How about you leave them fools and trust God? I'm just saying. How about you stick around here? How about you remain in fellowship? How about you serve? How about you trust God? How about you show up and you press further? Remain in his love. Remain in the community that he has put together rather than leaving him, leaving us when everybody else lets you down. And here's what I promise. We at some point will let you down, but here's what we're doing. We're all on the same boat because we've all been let down by life. We've been let down by family. We've been let down by things. And we're all in pursuit of something that can only come by him. And so rather than leaving us, leaving God, leave them. Leave that job that's got you joyless. Leave those people who keep disappointing you. Don't leave the church. We are here for the very same reason. And if you haven't been here in a couple of weeks, I wasn't talking to you, all right? Just have to say that. Still looking for them. I write them on Facebook, they won't even answer me now. got to stick around because at best you and I are like appliances it simply means this we are at our best when we are applied to a power source and whatever power source you apply yourself you attach yourself to will oftentimes determine what your life looks like and so if you are always applying yourself to negativity to hopelessness to doubt to all of those issues, then the fruit of that will be a life of negativity, of hopelessness, of doubt, if that's what you apply yourself to. But if you apply yourself to the great joy giver, to the one who will be with you always, then what will flow from that is a life that is filled with the fruit of joy. If you apply yourself to him, you will say, again, I told you, man, the spirit, the spirit just... Just starts flowing out of me. <laughs> Got to drop back a little bit. <laughs> if that's your existence, that will flow out of you. So you got to determine, how do I want to apply my life? Negativity and pessimism, or do I want the joy that can only come by Christ and Christ alone? And if you apply yourself to that as an appliance, that what will flow from that is the life that you look for. So I'm going to sit down because I don't want the, the whole you know, electrical system to shut down in here if I start getting too excited. I want to leave you with just one additional step of practicality that you can add to your life.
Uh, let's see how astute you are. I, I love our congregation because you guys are smart. Um, what's the shortest verse in Scripture? <laughs> Gold star for you, Marcus. Um, no, it's not. Uh, in, in English, yes, it is. Uh, there's actually uh, another verse that in English it's the same, but when you read it in the original uh, version in, in the Greek text, uh, Jesus wept is actually three words. But no matter the language, Hebrew, Greek, English, there's one verse that's the shortest verse in Scripture, which is the verse that we should apply always. If you want to live a joyful life, lead a joyful life, this one verse is the verse that you should hold on to. It's the shortest verse in Scripture, no matter the translation. You'll find it in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16. In the 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16, you'll hear Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica these simple words. Hold on for a second, brothers. You'll find it in these words, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16. These two words, no matter the language, he just simply says this, rejoice always. Rejoice always. No matter the language, no matter the translation, the shortest verse in Scripture that we are encouraged by is not Jesus wept. We don't have anything to do. We don't know what to do with that. I'll tell you what we can do something with is 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16 where Paul encourages us to no matter what you are experiencing, no matter what you are going through, no matter what your life looks like, rejoice always. Find a reason to experience joy. And if you read the rest of it, if you read how he's unpacking it, he's talking about what's in our lives. He says, find a reason. In the pain, the suffering, and how you live and lead your life, always find a reason to rejoice. Wake up in the morning, body aching, bones cracking, and give thanks to the Lord that he woke you up in the morning. Wake up in the morning, go into a job where you know they don't love you, they don't respect you, they don't honor your work, and find a reason to rejoice because the Lord gave you something to provide for your means. Rejoice always. Press the gas paddle at that car as it is putting along and find a reason to rejoice in the Lord because at least you've got four wheels to ride on. It says, man, rejoice always. Find a reason to rejoice. And trust me, when you do, you're applying yourself to something, and you will experience the fruit of it. I'll leave you with this. There's, there's, a, there's a guy uh, who was a captain of the armies for Napoleon named Messina. And one, one time, Messina, man, and, and, and about, I guess it was about 15,000 soldiers, they gathered outside of a small village in Austria. And uh, they were ready to overthrow that village, and the village in Austria, they, they didn't have an army or any means to protect themselves. And they were ready to prepare to, to fight themselves and to fight against that army however they could, knowing that it was going to be their demise. And they were ready to go, but one of the elders says, hey, we can't go out there right now. Because I'm not worried about the 15,000 soldiers that's out there. Today is Easter Sunday. And regardless of what's going to happen in this battle, what we are going to do is we're going to go into the house of the Lord and we're going to give him thanks. So the historians say that this elder went and he rang the bells at the church house. And all of the villagers gathered inside of the temple and they praised God. What they did not know is while they were ringing the bell, Messina and his armies were alarmed by the bells. Because they figured that it was a sign of a great army coming before them to defeat them and to protect this village. 
And so while they're in church giving praise to God because they were celebrating, even though they believed they were going to die, that God rose. While they were celebrating that, Messina and all 15,000 of his soldiers scattered. And they left. And they came out not knowing what happened. And I read that and I'm like, what a great testament to joy and rejoicing. When they refused to respond or react to the eventual pain, suffering, potentially even death that awaited them. Rather than allowing it to dictate how they were going to live, they said, what I am going to do today, as opposed to, to allowing this moment to hinder my existence, I'm going to go and thank God. If I'm going to be sick, I'm going to praise God. If I'm going to die, I'm going to praise God. If my money is low, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to raise my hands and say, glory be to God in the highest. And I'm going to rejoice always. And that's a great story for you and I. I know that life is not always what we hope and expect it to be. I know situations don't always work out the way that we expect them to be. But I believe that scripture, I believe that the story that we just read and heard about always shows us, shares with us, that no matter what we are experiencing, that we can still have joy. That we can unearth the joy that is on the inside of us and that God can show us that no matter the pain, the suffering, no matter what we are experiencing, that he is with us and he will keep us despite how we feel. So my brothers and sisters, if you are here and there's sickness in your body, if your bank account is low, if things don't look, that does not mean that you do not have joy. You've got joy, you've just got to tap into it. And the way that you tap into it is not allowing life to determine how you will live your life. Rejoice always, says Paul, in suffering, in pain, in problems, in insecurity, no matter what it means. Paul says rejoice always. So I highlighted, man, I'm going to take my seat. I know I said that a few minutes ago. Paul, Scripture shows us a bunch of people who, who, who did this. You remember in the book of Acts, the apostles, they were, they were persecuted and they were beaten because of the name of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that after they were persecuted, they left there rejoicing because they were considered worthy enough to deal with the persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. Or how about Paul and Silas? Paul and Silas were imprisoned. And if you remember the story, because of the joy of the Lord in their heart, they clapped and sang the prison walls down and walked out of there as free men. And there's so many story after story where we see the medicine, the prescription to your pain is not the pursuit of things to alleviate it. It is the pursuit to the joy and the hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone. If you pursue oneness in him, Joy is the byproduct. And you'll experience it for the remainder of your days. I believe this is what the psalmist was thinking of when he shared with us this. He says, man, listen, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make her boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name forever. We stop there, but there's, there's another part. The reason why he does that, he says, because, um, because the Lord heard me. 
no matter who you are, know that the Lord hears you. He sees you. He's with you. And his one solitary prayer for you is that you experience oneness that is found in him.